Book Two, Chapter Nine of Marcella. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Paul Stevens. Marcella by Mrs. Humphrey Ward. Book Two, Chapter Nine. The lane was still again, save for the unwanted sounds coming from the groups which had gathered round the two women and were now moving beside them along the village street a hundred yards ahead marcella stood in a horror of memory seeing hurd's figure cross the moonlit avenue from dark to dark where was he had he escaped suddenly she set off running stung by the thought of what might have already happened under the eyes of that unhappy wife those wretched children as she entered the village a young fellow ran up to her in breathless excitement they've got him miss he'd come straight home hadn't made no attempt to run as soon as jenkins jenkins was the policeman heard of it he went straight across to his house and caught him he were going to make off his wife had been persuading of him all night but they've got him miss sure enough the lad's exultation was horrible marcella waved him aside and ran on a man on horseback appeared on the road in front of her leading from widrington to the village she recognized aldous raeburn who had checked his horse in sudden amazement as he saw her talking to the boy. "'My darling, what are you here for? Oh, go home, go home, out of this horrible business. They have sent for me as a magistrate. Dines is alive. I beg you, go home.' She shook her head, out of breath and speechless with running. At the same moment she and he, looking to the right, caught sight of the crowd standing in front of Hurd's cottage. A man ran out from it, seeing the horse in its rider. "'Muster Rayburn! Muster Rayburn! They've cotched him! Jenkins has got him!' "'Ah!' said Aldous, drawing a long, stern breath. "'He didn't try to get off, then. "'Marcella, you are not going there, to that house.' He spoke in a tone of the strongest remonstrance. Her soul rose in anger against it. "'I am going to her,' she said, panting. "'Don't wait!' And she left him and hurried on. As soon as the crowd round the cottage saw her coming, they divided to let her pass. "'She's quiet now, miss,' said a woman to her, significantly, nodding towards the hovel. "'Just after Jenkins got in, you could hear her crying out pitiful.' "'That was when they were a-handcuffing him,' said a man beside her. Marcella shuddered. "'Will they let me in?' she asked. "'They won't let none of us in,' said the man. "'There's her sister,' and he pointed to a weeping woman supported by two others. "'They've kept her out. But here's the inspector, miss. You ask him.' "'The inspector?' a shrewd officer of long experience, fetched in haste from a mile's distance, galloped up, and gave his horse to a boy. Marcella went up to him. He looked at her with sharp interrogation. "'You are Miss Boyce, Miss Boyce of Mellor?' "'Yes, I want to go to the wife. I will promise not to get in your way.' He nodded. The crowd let them pass. The inspector knocked at the door, which was cautiously unlocked by Jenkins, and the two went in together. "'She's a queer one,' said a thin, weasel-eyed man in the crowd to his neighbour. "'To think of her being in it, at this time of day. "'You could see Muster Rayburn was a-telling of her to go home. "'But she's allus pampered them herds.' "'The speaker was Ned Patton, old Patton's son, "'and Herd's companion on many a profitable night-walk. "'It was barely a week since he had been out with Herd on another ferreting expedition, "'some of the proceeds of which were still hidden in Patton's outhouse.' but at the present moment he was one of the keenest of the crowd, watching eagerly for the moment when he should see his old comrade come out 
trapped and checkmated, bound safely and surely to the gallows. The natural love of incident and change which keeps life healthy had been starved in him by his labourer's condition. This sudden excitement had made a brute of him. The man next to him grimaced, and took his pipe out of his mouth a moment. "'She won't be able to do nothing for him. There isn't a man nor boy in this here place as didn't know that he hated Westall like poison, and would be as like as not to do for him some day. That'll count again him now terrible strong. He were allus one to blab, he were. "'Well, and Westall said just as much,' struck in another voice. "'There were sure to be a fight if ever Westall got at him on the job. "'You see, they may bring it in as manslaughter after all.' "'How does any one know he were there at all? Who seed him?' inquired a white-haired elderly man, raising a loud, quavering voice from the middle of the crowd. "'Charlie Dine seed him!' cried several together. "'How do you know he seed him?' From the babble of voices which followed, the white-haired man slowly gathered the beginnings of the matter. Charlie Dines, Westall's assistant, had been first discovered by a horse-keeper in Farmer Wellin's employment, as he was going to his work. The lad had been found under a hedge, bleeding and frightfully injured, but still alive. Close beside him was the dead body of Westall, with shot-wounds in the head. On being taken to the farm and given brandy, Dines was asked if he had recognised anybody. He had said there were five of them, town chaps, and then he named Hurd quite plainly, whether anybody else, nobody knew. It was said he would die, and that Mr. Rayburn had gone to take his deposition. "'And them town chaps got off, eh?' said the elderly man. "'Clean,' said Patton, refilling his pipe. "'Trust them.' Meanwhile, inside this poor cottage, Marcella was putting out all the powers of the soul. As the door closed behind her and the inspector, she saw Hurd sitting handcuffed in the middle of the kitchen watched by a man whom Jenkins, the local policeman, had got in to help him, till some more police should arrive. Jenkins was now upstairs searching the bedroom. The little bronchitic boy sat on the fender, in front of the untidy fireless grate, shivering, his emaciated face like a yellowish-white mask, his eyes fixed immovably on his father. Every now and then he was shaken with coughing, but still he looked, with the dumb, devoted attention of some watching animal. Heard too, was sitting silent. His eyes, which seemed wider open and more brilliant than usual, wandered restlessly from thing to thing about the room. His great earth-stained hands in their fetters twitched every now and then on his knee. Haggard and dirty as he was, there was a certain aloofness, a dignity even, about the misshapen figure which struck Marcella strangely. Both criminal and victim may have it, this dignity. It means that a man feels himself set apart from his kind. Hurd started at the sight of Marcella. "'I want to speak to her,' he said hoarsely, as the inspector approached him. "'To that lady,' nodding towards her. "'Very well,' said the inspector. "'Only it is my duty to warn you that anything you say now will be taken down and used as evidence at the inquest.' Marcella came near. As she stood in front of him, one trembling, ungloved hand crossed over the other, the diamond in her engagement ring catching the light from the window sparkled brightly, diverting even for the moment the eyes of the little fellow against whom her skirts were brushing. "'He might have killed me just as well as I killed him,' said Hurd, bending over to her and speaking with difficulty from the dryness of his mouth. "'I didn't mean nothing of what happened. He and Charlie came on us round Disley Wood. He didn't take no notice of them. It was they as beat Charlie. But he came straight on at me, all in a fury.' a blackguarding of me with his stick up. 
I thought he was for beating my brains out, and I up with my gun and fired. He was so close. That was how he got it all in the head. But he might have killed me just as well. He paused, staring at her with a certain anguished intensity, as though he were watching to see how she took it, nay, trying its effect on both her and himself. He did not look afraid or cast down. Nay, there was a curious buoyancy and steadiness about his manner for the moment which astonished her. She could almost have fancied that he was more alive, more of a man, than she had ever seen him, mind and body better fused, more at command. "'Is there anything more you wish to say to me?' she asked him, after waiting. Then suddenly his manner changed. Their eyes met. Hers, with all their subtle inheritance of various expression, their realised character, as it were, searched his, tried to understand them, those peasant eyes so piercing to her strained sense in their animal urgency and shame. Why had he done this awful thing? Deceived her, wrecked his wife. That was what her look asked. It seemed to her too childish, too stupid to be believed. "'I haven't made nobbut a poor return to you, miss,' he said in a shambling way, as though the words were dragged out of him. Then he threw up his head again. "'But I didn't mean nothing of what happened,' he repeated, doggedly going off again into a rapid yet, on the whole, vivid and consecutive account of Westall's attack, to which Marcella listened, trying to remember every word. "'Keep that for your solicitor,' the inspector said at last, interrupting him. "'You're only giving pain to Miss Boyce. You had better let her go to your wife.' Hurd looked steadily once more at Marcella. "'It be a bad end I'm come to,' he said after a moment. "'But I thank you kindly all the same. "'They'll want seeing after,' he jerked his head towards the boy, "'then towards the outhouse or scullery where his wife was. "'She takes it terrible hard. "'She wanted me to run. "'But I said, no, I'll stand it out. "'Mr. Brown at the court will give you the bit wages he owes me, "'but they'll have to go on the union. "'Everybody'll turn their backs on them now.' "'I will look after them,' said Marcella, "'and I will do the best I can for you. "'Now I will go to Mrs. Hurd.' Minta Hurd was sitting in a corner of the outhouse on the clay floor, her head leaning against the wall. The face was turned upward, the eyes shut, the mouth helplessly open. When Marcella saw her, she knew that the unhappy woman had already wept so much in the hour since her husband came back to her, that she could weep no more. The two little girls, in the scantiest of clothing, half-fastened, sat on the floor beside her, shivering and begrimed, watching her. They had been crying at the tops of their voices, but were now only whimpering miserably, and trying at intervals to dry their tear-stained cheeks with the skirts of their frocks. The baby, wrapped in an old shawl, lay on its mother's knee, asleep and unheeded. The little lean-to place, full of odds and ends of rubbish, and darkened overhead by a string of damp clothes, was intolerably cold in the damp February dawn. The children were blue. The mother felt like ice as Marcella stooped to touch her outcast misery could go no further the mother moaned as she felt marcella's hand then started wildly forward straining her thin neck and swollen eyes that she might see through the two open doors of the kitchen and the outhouse they're not taking him away she said fiercely jenkins swore to me that they'd give me notice no he's still there said marcella her voice shaking the inspector's come you shall have notice mrs hurd recognized her voice and looked up at her in amazement. "'You must put this on,' said Marcella, taking off the short fur cape she wore. "'You are perished. Give me the baby, and wrap yourself in it.' 
but Mrs. Hurd put it away from her with a vehement hand. "'I'm not cold, miss. I'm burning hot. He made me come in here. He said he'd do better if the children and I'd go away a bit. And I couldn't go upstairs because—because—' because... She hid her face on her knees. Marcella had a sudden sick vision of the horrors this poor creature must have gone through since her husband had appeared to her, splashed with the blood of his enemy, under that same marvellous moon which— her mind repelled its own memories with haste. Moreover, she was aware of the inspector standing at the kitchen door and beckoning to her. She stole across to him so softly that Mrs. Hurd did not hear her. "'We have found all we want,' he said in his official tone, but under his breath, the clothes, anyway. We must now look for the gun. Jenkins is first going to take him off to Widrington. The inquest will be held to-morrow here at the Green Man. We shall bring him over.' Then he added in another voice, touching his hat, "'I don't like leaving you, miss, in this place. "'Shall Jenkins go and fetch somebody to look after that poor thing? "'They'll be all swarming in here as soon as we've gone. "'No, I'll stay for a while. "'I'll look after her. "'It won't come in if I'm here. "'Except his sister, Mrs. Mullins. "'She may come in, of course, if she wants.' "'The inspector hesitated. "'I'm going now to meet Mr. Rayburn, miss. "'I'll tell him that you're here.' "'He knows,' said Marcella briefly. "'Now, are you ready?' "'He signed assent.' and Marcella went back to the wife. "'Mrs. Hurd,' she said, kneeling on the ground beside her, "'they're going.' The wife sprang up with a cry and ran into the kitchen, where Hurd was already on his feet between Jenkins and another policeman, who were to convey him to the jail at Widrington. But when she came face to face with her husband, something, perhaps the nervous appeal in his strained eyes, checked her, and she controlled herself piteously. She did not even attempt to kiss him, with her eyes on the ground, she put her hand on his arm. "'They'll let me come and see you, Jim,' she said, trembling. "'Yes, you can find out the rules,' he said shortly. "'Don't let them children cry. They want their breakfast to warm them. There's plenty of coal. I brought a sack home from Jellaby's last night myself. Goodbye. "'Now, march,' said the inspector sternly, pushing the wife back. Marcella put her arm round the shaking woman. The door opened, and beyond the three figures as they passed out, her eye passed to the waiting crowd, and then to the misty expanse of common and the dark woods behind, still wrapped in fog. When Mrs. Hurd saw the rows of people waiting within a stone's throw of the door, she shrank back. Perhaps it struck her, as it struck Marcella, that every face was the face of a foe. Marcella ran to the door as the inspector stepped out, and locked it after him. Mrs. Hurd, Hiding herself behind a bit of baize curtain, watched the two policemen mount with Hurd into the fly that was waiting, and then followed it with her eyes along the bit of straight road, uttering sounds the while of a low anguish, which wrung the heart in Marcella's breast. Looking back in after days, it always seemed to her that for this poor soul the true parting, the true wrench between life and life, came at this moment. She went up to her, her own tears running over. "'You must come and lie down,' she said, recovering herself as quickly as possible. "'You and the children are both starved, and you will want your strength if you are to help him. I will see to things.' She put the helpless woman on the wooden settle by the fireplace, rolling up her cloak to make a pillow. "'Now, Willie, you sit by your mother. Daisy, where's the cradle? Put the baby down and come and help me make the fire.' The dazed children did exactly as they were told, and the mother lay like a log on the settle. Marcella found coal and wood under Daisy's guidance, and soon lit the fire, piling on the fuel with a lavish hand. Daisy brought her water, 
and she filled the kettle and set it on to boil, while the little girl, still sobbing at intervals like some weeping automaton, laid the breakfast. Then the children all crouched round the warmth, while Marcella rubbed their cold hands and feet and mothered them. Shaken as she was with emotion and horror, she was yet full of a passionate joy that this pity, this tendance, was allowed to her. The crushing weight of self-contempt had lifted. She felt morally free and at ease. Already she was resolving what she could do for Hurd. It was as clear as daylight to her that there had been no murder, but a free fight, an even chance between him and Westall. The violence of a hard and tyrannous man had provoked his own destruction. So it stood for her passionate protesting sense. That, at any rate, must be the defence, and some able man must be found to press it. She thought she would write to the Cravens and consult them. Her thoughts carefully avoided the names both of Aldous Rayburn and of Wharton. She was about to make the tea when someone knocked at the door. It proved to be Hurd's sister, a helpless woman, with a face swollen by crying, who seemed to be afraid to come into the cottage, and afraid to go near her sister-in-law. Marcella gave her money, and sent her for some eggs to the neighbouring shop, then told her to come back in half an hour and take charge. She was an incapable, but there was nothing better to be done. "'Where is Miss Harden?' she asked the woman. The answer was that ever since the news came to the village, the rector and his sister had been with Mrs. Westall and Charlie Dine's mother. Mrs. Westall had gone into fit after fit. It had taken two to hold her. And Charlie's mother, who was in bed recovering from pneumonia, had also been very bad. Again Marcella's heart contracted with rage rather than pity. Such rack and waste of human life, moral and physical. For what? For the protection of a hateful sport, which demoralised the rich and their agents no less than it tempted and provoked the poor. When she had fed and physically comforted the children, she went and knelt down beside Mrs. Hurd, who still lay with closed eyes in heavy breathing stupor. "'Dear Mrs. Hurd,' she said, "'I want you to drink this tea and eat something.' The half-stupefied woman signalled refusal, but Marcella insisted. "'You have got to fight for your husband's life,' she said firmly, "'and to look after your children. I must go in a very short time, and before I go you must tell me all that you can of this business. Hurd would tell you to do it. He knows and you know that I am to be trusted. I want to save him. I shall get a good lawyer to help him.' "'But first you must take this, and then you must talk to me.' The habit of obedience to a lady, established long ago in years of domestic service, held. The miserable wife submitted to be fed, looked with forlorn wonder at the children round the fire, and then sank back with a groan. In her tension of feeling, Marcella, for an impatient moment, thought her a poor creature. Then, with quick remorse, she put her arms tenderly round her, raised the dishevelled grey-streaked head on her shoulder, and, stooping, kissed the marred face, her own lips quivering. "'You are not alone,' said the girl with her whole soul. "'You shall never be alone while I live. Now tell me.' She made the white and gasping woman sit up in a corner of the settle, and she herself got a stool and established herself a little way off, frowning, self-contained, and determined to make out the truth. "'Shall I send the children upstairs?' she asked. "'No,' said the boy suddenly, in his husky voice, shaking his head with energy. "'I'm not a-goin'.' "'Oh, he's safe, is Willie,' said Mrs. Hurd, looking at him, but strangely, and as it were from a long distance. "'And the others is too little.' 
Then gradually Marcella got the story out of her. First, the misery of alarm and anxiety, in which she had lived ever since the Tudley End raid, owing first to her knowledge of Hurd's connection with it, and with the gang that had carried it out, then to her appreciation of the quick and ghastly growth of the hatred between him and Westall, lastly to her sense of ingratitude towards those who had been kind to them. "'I knew we was acting bad towards you. I told Jim so. I couldn't hardly bear to see you come in. But there, miss, I couldn't do anything. I tried. Oh, the Lord knows I tried. There was never no happiness between us at last. I talked so. But I don't believe he could help himself.' He's not made like other folks, isn't Jim? Her features became convulsed again with the struggle for speech. Marcella reached out for the toil-disfigured hand that was fingering and clutching at the end of the settle, and held it close. Gradually she made out that although Hurd had not been able, of course, to conceal his night absences from his wife, he had kept his connections with the Oxford gang absolutely dark from her till, in his wild exultation over Westall's discomfiture in the Tudley End raid, he had said things in his restless snatches of sleep which had enabled her to get the whole truth out of him by degrees. Her reproaches, her fears, had merely angered and estranged him. Her nature had had somehow to accommodate itself to his, lest affection should lose its miserable all. As to this last fatal attack on the Maxwell coverts, it was clear to Marcella as she questioned and listened, that the wife had long foreseen it, and that she now knew much more about it than, suddenly, she would allow herself to say. For in the midst of her outpourings she drew herself together, tried to collect and calm herself, looked at Marcella with an agonised, suspicious eye, and fell silent. "'I don't know nothing about it, miss,' she stubbornly declared at last, with an inconsequent absurdity which smote Marcella's pity afresh. How am I to know? There were seven of them Oxford fellows at Tudley End. That I know. Who's to say as Jim was with them at all last night? Who's to say as it wasn't them as... She stopped, shivering. Marcella held her reluctant hand. You don't know, she said quietly, that I saw your husband in here for a minute before I came into you, and that he told me, as he had already told Jenkins, that it was in a struggle with him that Westall was shot but that he had fired in self-defence because Westall was attacking him. You don't know, too, that Charlie Dines is alive, and says he saw Hurd. Charlie Dines! Mrs. Hurd gave a shriek, and then fell to weeping and trembling again, so that Marcella had need of patience. If you can't help me more, she said at last in despair, I don't know what we shall do. Listen to me. Your husband will be charged with Westall's murder. That I am sure of. He says it was not murder, that it happened in a fight. I believe it. I want to get a lawyer to prove it. I am your friend, you know I am. But if you are not going to help me by telling me what you know of last night, I may as well go home, and get your sister-in-law to look after you and the children. She rose as she spoke. Mrs. Hurd clutched at her. Oh, my God, she said, looking straight before her vacantly at the children, who at once began to cry again. Oh, my God! "'Look here, miss,' her voice dropped, her swollen eyes fixed themselves on Marcella. The words came out in a low, hurried stream. "'It was just after four o'clock I heard that door turn. I got up in my nightgown and ran down, and there was Jim. "'Put that light out,' he says to me, sharp-like. "'Oh, Jim,' says I, "'wherever have you been? You'll be the death of me and them poor children. "'You go to bed,' he says to me, "'and I'll come presently.' 
but I could see him because of the moon almost as plain as day, and I couldn't take my eyes off him. And he went about the kitchen so strange-like, putting down his hat and taking it up again, and I saw he hadn't got his gun. So I went up and caught hold of him. And he gave me a push back. Can't you let me alone, he says. You'll know soon enough. And then I looked at my sleeve where I touched him. Oh, my God, my God! Marcella, white to the lips and shuddering too, held her tight. She had the seeing facility which goes with such quick, nervous natures, and she saw the scene as though she had been there, the moonlit cottage, the miserable husband and wife, the lifeblood on the woman's sleeve. Mrs. Hurd went on in a torrent of half-finished sentences and fragments of remembered talk. She told her husband's story of the encounter with the keepers, as he had told it to her, of course with additions and modifications already struck out by the agony of inventive pain. She described how she had made him take his blood-stained clothes and hide them in a hole in the roof, then how she had urged him to strike across country at once and get a few hours' start before the ghastly business was known. But the more he talked to her the more confident he became of his own story, and the more determined to stay and brave it out. Besides, he was shrewd enough to see that escape for a man of his deformity was impossible, and he tried to make her understand it so. But she was mad and blind with fear, and at last, just as the light was coming in, he told her roughly, to end their long wrestle, that he should go to bed and get some sleep. She would make a fool of him, and he should want all his wits. She followed him up the steep ladder to their room, weeping, and there was little Willie sitting up in bed, choking with the phlegm in his throat, and half dead of fright because of the voices below. "'And when her had seen him, he went and cuddled him up, and rubbed his legs and feet to warm them, and I could hear him groaning. And I say to him, "'Jim, if you won't go for my sake, will you go for the boys? For you see, miss, there was a bit of money in the house, and I thought he'd hide himself by day and walk by night, and so get to Liverpool, perhaps, and off to the States. And it seemed as though my head would burst with listening for people coming, and him taken up there like a rat in a trap.' and no way of proving the truth, and everybody again him, because of the things he'd said. And he burst out a-crying, and Willie cried, and I came and entreated of him, and he kissed me, and at last he said he'd go. And I made haste, the light was getting so terrible strong, and just as he got to the foot of the stairs, and I was holding little Willie in my arms, and saying good-bye to him, she let her head sink against the settle. There was no more to say, and Marcella asked no more questions. She sat thinking. Willie stood, a wasted, worn figure, by his mother, stroking her face. His hoarse breathing was, for the time, the only sound in the cottage. Then Marcella heard a loud knock at the door. She got up and looked through the casement window. The crowd had mostly dispersed, but a few people stood about on the green, and a policeman was stationed outside the cottage. On the steps stood Aldous Rayburn, his horse held behind him by a boy. She went and opened the door. "'I will come,' she said at once. "'There, I see Mrs. Mullins crossing the common. Now I can leave her.' Aldous, taking off his hat, closed the door behind him, and stood with his hand on Marcella's arm, looking at the huddled woman on the settle and the pale children. There was a solemnity in his expression, a mixture of judgment and pity, which showed that the emotion of other scenes also, scenes through which he had just passed, was entering into it. "'Poor, unhappy souls,' he said slowly, under his breath. "'You say that you have got someone to see after her. "'She looks as though it might kill her, too.' "'Marcella nodded. "'Now that her task, for the moment, was nearly over, 
she could hardly restrain herself nervously or keep herself from crying. Aldous observed her with disquiet as she put on her hat. His heart was deeply stirred. She had chosen more nobly for herself than he would have chosen for her, in thus daring an awful experience for the sake of mercy. His moral sense, exalted and awed by the sight of death, approved, worshipped her. His man's impatience pined to get her away, to cherish and comfort her. Why, she could hardly have slept three hours since they parted on the steps of the court, amidst the crowd of carriages. Mrs. Mullins came in, still scared and weeping, and dropping frightened curtsies to muster Rayburn. Marcella spoke to her a little in a whisper, gave some counsels which filled Aldous with admiration for the girl's practical sense and thoughtfulness, and promised to come again later. Mrs. Hurd neither moved nor opened her eyes. "'Can you walk?' said Aldous, bending over her, as they stood outside the cottage. "'I can see that you are worn out. Could you sit my horse if I led him?' "'No, let us walk.' They went on together, followed by the eyes of the village, the boy leading the horse some distance behind. "'Where have you been?' said Marcella, when they had passed the village. "'Oh, please don't think of my being tired. I had so much rather know it all. I must know it all.' She was deathly pale but her black eyes flashed impatience and excitement. She even drew her hand out of the arm where Aldous was tenderly holding it, and walked on erect by herself. "'I have been with poor Dine,' said Aldous sadly. "'We had to take his deposition. He died while I was there.' "'He died?' "'Yes. The fiends who killed him had left small doubt of that. But he lived long enough, thank God, to give the information which will, I think, bring them to justice.' The tone of the magistrate and the magnate goaded Marcella's quivering nerves. "'What is justice?' she cried. "'The system that wastes human lives in protecting your tame pheasants!' A cloud came over the stern clearness of his look. He gave a bitter sigh, the sigh of the man to whom his own position in life had been, as it were, one long scruple. "'You may well ask that,' he said. You cannot imagine that I did not ask it of myself a hundred times as I stood by that poor fellow's bedside. They walked on in silence. She was hardly appeased. There was a deep, inner excitement in her, urging her towards difference, towards attack. At last he resumed. But whatever the merits of our present game system may be, the present case is surely clear, horribly clear. Six men, with at least three guns among them, probably more, go out on a pheasant-stealing expedition. They come across two keepers, one a lad of seventeen, who have nothing but a light stick apiece. The boy is beaten to death, the keeper shot dead at the first brush, by a man who has been his lifelong enemy, and threatened several times, in public, to do for him. If that is not brutal and deliberate murder, it is difficult to say what is." Marcella stood still in the misty road, trying to command herself. "'It was not deliberate,' she said at last, with difficulty. "'Not in Hurd's case. I have heard it all from his own mouth. It was a struggle. He might have been killed instead of Westall. Westall attacked. Hurd defended himself.' Aldous shook his head. "'Of course Hurd would tell you so,' he said sadly, "'and his poor wife.' He is not a bad or vicious fellow, like the rest of the rascally pack. Probably when he came to himself, after a moment of rage, he could not simply believe what he had done. 
but that makes no difference. It was murder. No judge or jury could possibly take any other view. Dines's evidence is clear, and the proof of motive is overwhelming. Then, as he saw her pallor and trembling, he broke off in deep distress. "'My dear one, if I could but have kept you out of this!' They were alone in the misty road. The boy with the horse was out of sight. He would fain have put his arm round her, have consoled and supported her. But she would not let him. "'Please understand,' she said in a sort of gasp, as she drew herself away, "'that I do not believe Hurd is guilty, that I shall do my very utmost to defend him. He is to me the victim of unjust, abominable laws. If you will not help me to protect him, then I must look to someone else.' Aldous felt a sudden stab of suspicion, presentiment. "'Of course he will be well defended. He will have every chance. That you may be sure of,' he said slowly. Marcella controlled herself, and they walked on. As they entered the drive of Mellor, Aldous thought passionately of those divine moments in his sitting-room, hardly yet nine hours old, and now— now she walked beside him as an enemy. The sound of a step on the gravel in front of them made them look up. Past, present, and future met in the girl's bewildered and stormy sense, as she recognised Wharton. End of Book Two, Chapter Nine